volatility, uncertainty, complexity. This is the work environment that is our reality. What will leaders need to know to be successful in the future? Who will they need to be to build team member commitment? How will they need to show up to create a motivating environment for their people? Welcome to the Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership podcast, a dialogue about how leaders will need to adapt to be successful in a rapidly changing world. And now, please join your host and executive producer, Sal Sylvester, to engage in the conversation about the future of leadership and how to transform people into confident leaders. Hello and welcome to season five of Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership. I am Sal Sylvester, your host. I'm also the founder and CEO of 512 Solutions, an executive coaching and leadership development firm based in Boulder, Colorado, where our mission is to help organizations create healthy, aligned, and more human workplaces. I'm also the founder and CEO of Coach Metrics, a cloud-based tool that we developed to measure behavioral change in coaching and leadership development. So as you may know, if you've been listening to season five, this season's all about creating a more deeply human workplace. It's a season about culture and our gift as human beings. I think our greatest gift is our ability to adapt. I believe that the more you can tap into our humanity, the more successful we can be in business and beyond. And more than ever in our work, in our world, we need that ability to adapt to be successful. So today's topic is extremely important. We'll be talking with David Wetton about conscious leadership and how conscious leadership can make a bigger impact in the organizations in which we work and also in our society. Now, David is an expert in this field. He helps conscious leaders grow themselves and he helps develop purpose-led high-performing teams through one-on-one coaching and tailored leadership programs. The leadership teams that he works with experience an increase in trust and collaboration, a growth in collective emotional intelligence, and a commitment to take a stand for social impact along excellent financial results. So in many ways, this is a conversation about both results and relationships. David has extensive experience working at the executive levels in UK FTSE 100 companies, both as a senior executive and a senior consultant. He's researched and grounded his leadership approach through his Warwick Business School MBA and his master's research degree at Durham University Business School. And David's also an ordained UK interfaith minister and spiritual counselor. So I think this interview will really help you expand how you think about leadership, not just from a cognitive or intellectual standpoint. We'll also talk about emotional intelligence, and we'll go beyond that too, to talk about physical intelligence and spiritual intelligence. So without further ado, let's go out to the interview with David Wetton now. Well, David, first of all, welcome. It is great to have you on the show today. How are you? I'm great. Thank you, really. Thank you for inviting me, Sam. I'm really looking forward to this episode. I am too. I have a sense that this is going to be a really meaningful discussion. So your work is about conscious leadership, and I think that aligns quite a bit with our philosophy and the work that we do around a deeply human workplace. 
And your work is also around developing purpose-led teams. And in many ways, you've described yourself as a general practitioner for conscious leadership, where you can kind of help an organization overall, but you also refer people to experts and you draw upon the work of many experts in the field. I'd love to just start with a frame of, tell us what conscious leadership means to you. <laughs> that's, that's a really powerful and great question. Of course, as you know, I have my podcast, Conscious Leadership Now. And one of the things you learn from that, I ask them, what does conscious leadership mean to you? And I get many different answers, Sal. So the first thing I would say is there's no one definitive answer. Mm-hmm. The first place I want to start very quickly, because I gives a great frame for those that are listening and watching, is that conscious you know, leadership, it has a spiritual intelligence. It has spiritual in it. Now, I'd say to listeners, hang on, don't disappear, because sometimes when you mention spiritual, <laughs> people think, oh, he's going to get all the evangelical on me. And I would say no. Now, this helps that definition because I went to the Academy of Management in the uh, North America, finest academics, also as managers out there. And one of the things I learned was there's no agreed definition for spirituality. That will lead into in a second, there's no agreed definition of conscious leadership. But if I share my definition of spirituality, which I like, which is George-Anne Lamont and Sally Burns, I know George-Anne Lamont. (laughs) That goes back to that GP. I know a lot of people across the world in this area. Now, they say, they give this definition, and so it starts to open it up. It says spirituality is not religion. It's not about beliefs, creeds, or dogmas. It's about being fully alive, relationships and that which gives meaning and purpose to life. And I would say to the workplace, mm. that changes. If you can feel that, that changes the atmosphere in the room. Quite often when I'm speaking, people will say, David, when you spoke about perhaps spiritual, spiritual intelligence, I thought, oh my goodness, we're in for an evangelical talk. But when you then spoke about spirituality and what it means, I get it. And it's glorious. That's kind of part of because spiritual, we're conscious. And of course, Sal, I'm not precious about the term conscious leadership, because as you know, you can have servant leadership, transformational leadership, holistic leadership, so many different sorts of terms. It's more about the frequency or the resonance of leadership and more about the sense, as Professor Jody Fry says, that it's more about people, planet and profits. It's not mm. just about profits. Yeah. So it moves us into a new paradigm which i think organizations are already moving into now coming back to the conscious leadership one i chose conscious leadership because i did my master's on it was at durham university business school and i had the professor of ethics was my mentor which was great Mm -hmm. but that was around exploring the role of spirituality in the workplace so imagine doing that at a uk leading business school it was fabulous to bring this to the business school when i actually did that and I thought, well, actually, I'm going to go for conscious leadership because people are a bit more open to that at first look or when they see it cold. Yeah, conscious leadership, that's interesting. So that's why I chose it. Now, here's, I had so much good fortune in my life, Sal, in that when I was in San Francisco and I've been to the States a number of times, I actually had the pleasure of meeting a guy over there called John Rennish, who's in San Francisco. Now, he actually coined the term conscious leadership back in the 1980s so I know him and he's on my conscious leadership now podcast actually so he actually says he says for him and this is his definition that he says conscious leadership is a term that he coined 
to communicate the quality that's being called for in leading people, organizations, and society through this historic species-wide transformation and helping to bring a positive future for our children and grandchildren to inherit. And I love that. Mm. And that's one definition. Others have their own. So that's the thing. But if you get the sense of, they tend to have a similar sort of energy, which is moves, Sal, from being me focused to being Mm. kind of us focused. So from being me attaining to how can I serve? So it moves from how can I serve me to how can I serve the whole? How can I serve society? So quite often in the business world, I'll say to an exec, what's the legacy you're looking to bring to the world through your organization? And you can catch the intake of breath where they go, ooh. So it's that sort of quality. So hopefully that's given you a sense of what conscious leadership is about for me. Yeah, that's really helpful. And the shift is what I think is really powerful. The shift from Mm. me to serving the whole. And there's so many ways that we can do that. There's so many great examples of organizations that are doing that. I just sat in an executive team meeting just a couple of days ago with a large $20 billion company here in the US and global company actually. And the CEO sat in front of his team and talked about some of the social changes that are happening in our society in the US. Roe versus Wade was just overturned, major Mm. societal change for us. And they were talking about this quite openly about what it means and their messaging. And But even within that conversation, there's a shift from me to serving the whole. Again, we're looking at, and here's two guys talking about emotions and passion. It's actually about you get passionate about this area. And and when I did my master's, my master's, I actually said from my working experience, and I've been, I've been a consultant in big organizations. I've been an acting exec in Barclays Bank here in the UK. But I said, from my working experience, the best roles and projects I've been a part of are the ones where I felt excited and alive, back to that alive thing, regarding the organizational mission, where it was an energizing delight to co-create with my fellow workers and where we felt we were making this heartfelt difference in the world around us. And as I said, I love encouraging, challenging, helping work colleagues and kind of back to your podcast, people at the center of everything I do and each individual's well-being and personal growth matters to me. Yeah. So it's conscious leadership allows an expression of this. Mm. Yeah. And back to the definition of spiritual, being yeah. excited and alive, right? Yeah, yeah. What a great definition of that. I'm curious, you, as we were doing some prep for this podcast, there's three really clear bridges in your life experiences. There's sort of the corporate bridge, the academic bridge, and the spiritual bridge. If I went to the corporate first, what was it about your corporate experience that has led you to this idea of conscious leadership now? Gosh, so many examples. I'll try and pick one, actually, to give an, an example of how I see it working. I did a piece of work with Britannia Building Society here in the UK, and it's a big, what we call a mutual building society. So branches nationwide, a big one. And I was in charge of actually pulling together what they call the customer experience. I love that customer facing work. Now, example of how this tapped for me, if you like conscious leadership at the time, I probably wouldn't have said that, but I do now, is I said to them, actually, if we're pulling together a customer experience, so it has some values and things in it, I actually want to do the research. I want to bring it alive, back to alive again, from the front line, people who are in the call centers, people who are in the stores, people who are interacting with customers day to day. What do they see as really important? Mm. 
And they said, we love that. That's really important. Go do it. So I went to them and they said, well, here's a list of people that branches, branch managers you can go and see. And I said, that's great. I said, I said, who's the branch manager that gives you a real difficult time? And they said, oh, it's so-and-so. I said, can I go and see so-and-so? And they said, are you sure you want to go and see them? I said, yes, I do. And happened to, in this case, happened to be a woman. I said, I want to go see her. So I went to go and see her. And here's another quality, sort of conscious leadership, this listening aspect. Mm. When I went out and saw her, first of all, she was very surprised that someone from head office or connected with her office had come out to see her because she was giving head office such a bad time. But as I sat and listened and the quality of listening, I connected into her and really realized she'd got some really great ideas that just weren't being heard. And as she spoke and shared what customer service meant to her and how she was so passionate about Britannia Building Society, I got some fabulous material. So when I went back in and people said, oh, my God, how did you get on? I said, she was fabulous. Here's what I've got. And they went, she said this. I said, yes. I said, here's reasons why and where we are with this. So it's transformational. So people are seen and understood. That's part of the conscious leadership mm, for me, yeah. as I've now understood it, as I started to put terms around it. So it's very people-focused. It's soul-focused, as I call yes. it. Seeing the best in people, allowing them to bring their gifts to work. Because I often say, we spend so long in the workplace. Let's come back to life. Let's make it fun. Bring your gifts to the table. Let's make a difference. And that buzz of actually working together in a team of, in this case, serving customers with the heart and soul and making a real difference to these customers' lives, whether it was providing a mortgage, whether it was getting perhaps funding to, for a child to go at school. What a fabulous occupation to be in if you're approaching it from a point of view of this is where I want to be and these are the people I want to serve. Yeah. So the experience of realizing how much someone wants to be seen and understood is kind of at the core of what led you down this line of thinking. Absolutely. And I don't know if, if I'm leading the kind of game forward, if you like, because when I did my academic research, and so I've got an MBA at Warwick Business School, which I love. That was another part of it, really. So when I did my MBA at Warwick Business School, I did it in one year full time. So I wasn't getting paid for that one year. But the fact that I interacted with so many people across so many different countries because they came from around the world to do this world-leading program. That in itself was just a fantastic education. Yeah. And when I actually did that research and I got into looking, oh, there's something called spiritual leadership. This is when I came across, when I went to Durham University Business School, Professor Jody Fry, who's a management professor at Texas A&M University. And he actually heads up, people can look it up, he actually heads up the International Institute for Spiritual Leadership. But linking back to what I've just said is, and it's a fabulous model he's got there, and it goes across whether you have a faith or no faith, this model is really superb. But he talks about that actually with spiritual leadership, you need values which actually make a difference to people. He calls it altruistic love, but it's the values that they're actually embodied in the organization. But then the key thing he says for the people in the organization, for their spiritual well-being, and actually is that they're understood and they're appreciated. Yeah. And I went, I absolutely get that. And then what he said, and this is his research, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, how brilliant. He said, if you get this, this is back to his triple bottom line. You actually find that when you align around the spiritual leadership, you get the commitment and productivity. You get employee satisfaction. You get the financial performance. You get the well-being. And it's like a win, 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 win. Now, it's not easy to implement. That's the caveat to it. 
But it's mm-hmm. like when you see this, it's like, oh, my goodness, if we do this for our organization in a way that meets our style of how we are in the world, what a powerful thing. And the thing is, Sal, it's not just the workplace. You know, people who do this work in the workplace, they take it home, back home to the family, to the community, yeah. to the friends. They carry that essence. And one very quick story, one exec I worked with actually was so thrilled with the work I did. He took me home and I met his wife and she put on this fabulous meal. And as I sat down, so I'll take a breath as I share this, because it always moves me every time I share it. As I sat down, she turned to me and I'd worked with her husband for about six months because it takes time to do this sort of work. It does, for sure. She said, thank you, David. She said, thank you for giving me my husband back and so much more. Mm. So it's not just the workplace. Obviously, he, you know, through his people who's working with, but going home and I thought, oh my goodness, what a privilege to be doing this work. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, it's transformational. It is transformation. It truly is. You and I were talking before the podcast about this has to make sense in the business, the sort of yes. practicality yeah. aspect of it. Yes. And the argument that I hear you making, and, and I also make this in my latest book, The Deeply Human Workplace, is that when people have a focus also on the community, and that's sort of broadly defined as society or the local community or doing something more than just making widgets in the business, there is a strong connection to commitment and productivity. So in other words, thinking broader beyond the business also helps the business. It's not one or the other. They're actually supportive of each other. And there's a practical business aspect to this concept of conscious leadership absolutely there is you know and i do have an, it's another example a real life example if you like it's and it's on the podcast so i'm not sharing any secrets i shouldn't be sharing i also lead a podcast called the trusted executive mm. so there's a guy in the uk here called john blakey he's a world leading coach he's done a phd actually aston university business school and his phd was around trust in the workplace and so he's come up with a model called the trusted executive with nine leadership habits it's an absolutely beautiful model so that podcast is out there but the point i want to make is that for each podcast we had one of the executives come in who'd worked with this model so again we're back to i'm absolutely with you if this model does not make a difference in the workplace then why are we using it right very clear about that yeah you know i don't want people to think oh david's all in his head it's all no 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 it's actually on the ground this is embodied work and it can be hard work so anyway this female executive came in And one thing she said about using the trusted executive model is that when you embody it, she'd had a problem with her health. And she said, you know, the fact that the exec, I think, arrived and brought her hot water bottle to put, I think, on her stomach, it was helpful without asking because he knew what she was like. She said, do you know what she said? It was such a caring, compassionate act that saw me as a human. She said, I would have walked across burning coals for him because of this act of compassion and understanding and knowing who I was. Yeah. And so actually her commitment to the organization, her sense of being seen, heard, looked after, really was aligned. And this is the sort of the outcomes that you get. And of course, when people are aligned and going back to that love, they love working for organizations, mm-hmm. the results just start to escalate because yeah. they, you know, they're natural, using the word evangelist, they're natural evangelists for the organization in the best possible way. Because it's like, yeah. this is what we're doing. And other people are going, wow. Yeah. Hundred percent, and a couple of other examples I think related to this. Uh, McKinsey came out with some data in May of 2022. In the United States, I'm not sure if you're experiencing this in the UK, but we're going through this, or we have been through this. The Great Resignation: How 
record number of people switching mm -hmm. jobs. The number one reason why people are leaving their role, leaving their job without another offer in hand, uncaring managers. So I think Absolutely. Like, just Absolutely. there's nothing soft about this. It's connected directly to business results. And at the same time, we can make a difference in people's lives in our planet and with profit. And I think the other piece too is I was just with an executive team earlier this week and we were looking at some of their engagement numbers from an engagement survey they ran. It's a 15, 18,000 person company. So this is a sizable organization. And many of the elements that they are measuring have to do with caring, supportive, inclusive environments. So this matters and most organizations I think are starting to prioritize. Well, many organizations are starting to prioritize this more. We're seeing more and more priorities at the board level of creating inclusivity in the workplace. Why? Because it's good for people. It's also good for the business. Absolutely. Yes. And, and I think actually, you know, obviously the pandemic has been awful to go through, but one of the things I think that has happened is that actually it's given people not even permission i think it's been important that actually people are talking about their emotions about how they're feeling you know my mother or father or even partner whatever is not well and i'm struggling yeah. i'm scared and of course seeing people through whatever platform they're using you know whether it's zoom or microsoft teams or whatever they're seeing into the home yes so that connection into oh my goodness they are a human being not just a mm -hmm. human doing yeah, I think is bringing people present to others in the workplace and realizing that this is so important. So I think that is, is helping the transition into what I call embracing emotional intelligence as well as spiritual intelligence. Yeah, I want to go there. I just want to make one final point here because it is just so important. What happens in that boardroom, around that boardroom table impacts mm -hmm. what happens around that dinner table I shared this on another podcast, so I won't go into the story again, but I experienced that very much as a young boy growing up in my teenage years, listening to how my father spoke about work and the old man at work who was the fond nickname that people gave to his boss at work and the trials and tribulations and then how that directly impacted his life, my mother's life, my brother's lives and my, oh, my, my goodness, to yeah. this day, I'm 53 and I still think about that. So the connection there is real. You talk about four different intelligences, and let me just see if I've got this right, and then maybe you can expand on this. There's cognitive intelligence, emotional intelligence, physical intelligence, and spiritual intelligence, sort of all part of your concept of wrapped up as part of conscious leadership. Can you talk a little bit more about these different intelligences and leadership? Yes. I mean, really, for me, what I call the cognitive intelligence, the IQ, is the one that we've really been used to in, if I use, you know, for me, white male patriarchal leadership, you know, it's been led from the head. We all go and do our studies. We do that. So we're quite familiar with the cognitive intelligence and we're used to how to use business balance scorecards and all these sort of things. So, and there's nothing intrinsically wrong with that but it's not showing the whole picture as far as I'm concerned. And one of the things I talk about really, Sal, is that whatever the, you know, our sexuality, our gender is, in my understanding is we all have, I'm going to say male and female characteristics. 
Mm-hmm. So for me, the IQ intuitive thing is traditionally perhaps, you know, male as opposed to man, but male characteristic. So the more, you know, more one of the female one for me would then actually be looking at emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, many, I guess, that are watching and listening will be um, very familiar with the work of Daniel Goldman with his emotional intelligence. And that is a powerful piece of work, you know, just by itself. I met actually an Amex, an American Express exec in the States, who's actually set up a business now just around emotional intelligence, because he was so moved by reading Daniel Goldman's book, Working with Emotional Intelligence, that he felt he had to do something with it. He was so passionate about it. So he now takes it into workplaces and he's got, uh, I think, an actually PhD academic that provides some of the input for emotional intelligence. So this aspect, and it brings us back beautifully, I think, to this aspect of, you know, we were talking about it's not just self, it's others. And of course, those familiar with emotional intelligence will know it has these four quadrants. So self-awareness, self-management, and then looking at others awareness with others so social awareness and then actions with others relationship management so you've got these four quadrants so it starts to bring a wider more holistic approach to presence in the workplace and starts speaking those unspoken words perhaps yeah so the emotional intelligence is really important i think a lot of businesses you know you mentioned the areas are naturally beginning to bring this in and they're realizing it's always been there it's never not been there but quite often they haven't people haven't had the permission to speak about it or bring it into the room so perhaps you know take the covid example perhaps more boardrooms are opening up with a question of well how are you today you know what's happening for you and you're like how are you feeling you know and what do you need at this moment in time because it could well be just an exec could say well actually i'm here today but i'm not really here you know, perhaps let's choose it. Now, my father was ill with COVID and he's very poorly in hospital. So none of those that will say, okay, how can we support you at this moment in time? You know, so that brings the emotional intelligence to the table. It could be this excitement, you know, the exec comes in and said, I'm so excited about this new particular venture we've got because I really think it's going to make a difference to our customers and the community and my team are on fire for it. So to share that passion and enthusiasm from a heartfelt space is so powerful. Yeah, that is so powerful. We do quite a bit of work around emotional intelligence in our work. We often find, to your point, the intelligence or the cognitive intelligence. There's no shortage of that. I very rarely walk away from a group of leaders and say, they're just not that smart, or I don't think they have the chops to be able to run this organization. The emotional intelligence piece, though, is typically, especially at senior and executive levels, where people derail themselves. The ability to engage in productive conversation when you have competing priorities and to build better relationships is so key. And you mentioned those four quadrants. Look, people can be highly aware, but if they can't manage themselves, there's a distinction there. So self-awareness is not fully encompassing of what emotional intelligence is. You need both the self-awareness and the self-regulation in order to be a highly emotionally intelligent person. Absolutely. And I wanted to say, and apologies for all the references, but as I said, you know, these can make a real difference in your workplace. Yeah. You were talking about, you know, people move jobs because of their boss or they're not actually satisfied in the work. So there is a book called The Map of Meaningful Work with Marjo Lipswormer and Lanny Morris, both who I know. And again, this has been based on their research and tested in workshops over the last 20 years. And this helps people align their deeper life purposes with their daily actions in the workplace. And this model looks at being self-doing, being with others and doing with others 
It's a beautiful model. Uh, it's called a holistic development model. And I've used it with groups and it really brings the whole person, the whole group into the room. And when yeah. people start sharing, Sal, it can be actually a heart opening moment because suddenly people realize, oh my goodness, I never knew that about Joe, never knew that about Mary, never knew that yeah. about Esme. It's a beautiful book. It's a beautiful piece of work. And I'm actually, <laughs> there's a chapter on me with one of the clients in the book on there. So um, yeah. I'm not on commission, so I'm not on commission on any right. of these books. It's just been a really helpful way to look at things. And it's practical. Back to that practical thing. You can pick it up and go use it. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the other two intelligences, and then we'll start to sort of pull this together. You mentioned physical intelligence and then spiritual intelligence. Tell us more yeah, about those. Yeah, I'm going to go with spiritual because it ties in quite nicely to the emotional one or the way that I go with it. And on the aspect of the spiritual intelligence. There is actually someone in the States there called uh, Cindy Wigglesworth, who's written The 21 Skills of Spiritual Intelligence. And why I like this one is she uses exactly the same four quadrants as the one for emotional intelligence, but she goes deeper in it. She takes a deep dive. So for example, on the one which is self-awareness, one of the questions is, you know, how aware are you of your life purpose? How aware are you of your values and how they rank for you, which I love. And in the question of, let's have a look to pick one other example of of others, and let's say doing with others, she asked the question, how do you act in the workplace as a wise and effective change agent? How are you a wise and effective mentor in the workplace? And how do you make compassionate and wise decisions? Mm. And she's done, again, a lot of research about this. Again, it's practical. It's in work in the workplaces. I'm not trained in it personally. There are people that are trained in this thing. So again, makes difference in the workplace, takes it to a deeper place. And also there is, I mentioned, of course, Jodie Fry and spiritual leadership. The thing is, there's a number of great approaches and models that are out there. <laughs> I've got access to quite a few of them. But what I wonder why I brought Jodie into the room on this juncture is that what he actually says, and I really love this, this is what kind of got me off my chair, is that when he talks about spiritual leadership, what he actually says in there is actually at the centre of spiritual leadership is the leader having an inner life or spiritual practice. Mm. So he said that might be time in prayer, it might be time in nature, it might be yoga, it might be a religious practice, it might be a meditation, it might be just writing in a journal. But what he's saying is it all comes from the inner life, this spiritual intelligence. And the fact that he'd researched this and done this, you know, there's books written about companies he's worked with. I was blown away, really. And that ties up, you know, I, I said also the third element, I'm also an ordained interfaith minister here in the UK. It brought that to the table for me because I went, oh my goodness, that means actually to bring this in a life, you bring it a whole person to the table. Yeah. And here's someone who's done it with an academic model that works. I'm like, whoa. So can you imagine this, Sal? Actually, you can get people sat around a table with this model. They can be a Buddhist. They can be a Christian. They can be an atheist. They can be a Hindu. And they can all talk from their perspective what this model means for them. Bring the whole self to work. What a fabulous game changer. Yeah. That correlates also with some of the research that we've seen in our work around the connection between some sort of spiritual practice. And again, not necessarily religious, but spiritual Mm -hmm. and leadership. And what we've found in our work is that highly effective leaders, and there's very few 
people that really fit into this category, but there's a strong correlation between sort of operating at those highest levels of leadership and having some sort of spiritual practice that's part of your life. And just on that, I'm giving lots of resources here, but there is something called the Tree of Contemplative Practices, and it's on you know www.contemplativemind.org. And this tree is just fabulous because it then shows the breadth of the potential spiritual practices. So, you know, as you said, it could be yoga, it could be Aikido. It might be walking a labyrinth. It might be doing a retreat. It might be deep listening. We've spoken about listening. It could be storytelling. It could be working and volunteering. It could be contemplative arts, journaling, loving kindness meditation, you know, centering, as they call it. Lots of examples in that place. And when people see that, often that's the diagram they want to take away because they go, wow, didn't know that was there. Yeah. And so I'm also looking at the diagram as we're chatting <laughs> and, and at the top of it, taking time to ground yourself. Yes. How do you do that as a leader? <laughs> do you start your day off with chaos and yeah, you get yeah. up and trying to get the kids out the door to school and get breakfast and responding to emails? Or are you starting with some intentionality? What does the grounding aspect of your life look like? And to your point, David, that can come from many different ways. There's not one way in which people yeah. can and find that, that spiritual brings us beautifully back to this physical intelligence. Yes. The fourth angle, because that's what that, that is about. There's a lot of work, as you will know, there's a lot of research, a lot of great material about presence in the workplace. So this groundedness, this physical aspect of how do I ground myself is so important. And so you've, you know, you've mentioned a few practices there. It could be as simple as taking a breath and bringing yourself presence. There's a great book called, I think it's just called Work by the Zen Buddhist who died recently, Thich Nhat Hanh. Mm. I think he just calls it Work. But in that, it gives an example of numerous practices that you can actually do in the workplaces just to bring yourself present. So actually, there's that physical thing. So even, for example, he says, if you're about to answer your cell phone or mobile phone, as we call them in the UK, take a few breaths before you actually press. Don't just grab it and click the answer. Yes. Take a couple of breaths and then just answer it. So then you're actually, you're in your body then. You're actually present with the mm -hmm. person who's in the call. Same as he's saying, if you're walking, now people are back at work. If you're walking to a meeting, walk mindfully. Allow an extra five minutes, walk mindfully. I can see you taking a breath there, Sal, you get it. Mm -hmm. And so you arrive in a place, instead of dashing between meetings, dragging out papers, do some, as you said, that intent, be mindful about what you're doing, because that then honors the people that with, and it honors yourself as well. Yeah. So when so you put well. these together, Sal, yeah. it's a powerful cocktail. It's a bit of a depth charge, as someone said to me the other day, but in the best possible way, in depth charge in the sense of, really bringing people back to that alive aspect because it's not prescriptive in the way it says everyone's going to meditate. No, if going out in nature is your thing or taking the dog for a walk, that's where you get in touch with some of these ideas and thoughts that come to you. That's what you can choose to do. Mm, I love that. So let me see. I'm going to try to summarize our conversation <laughs> as best I can here, David. <laughs> awesome. The first point is there's a paradigm shift that's happening if people are paying attention. And the, the shift is from me focused to us or to service focused. Number two, people have a very strong need to be seen and understood and appreciated. And in many ways, that's at the core of conscious leadership and all of the concepts that we've talked about. So far, those two summary points make sense? 
Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Number three, there's a practicality to all of this. This mm-hmm. isn't fluffy, mm-hmm. soft <laughs> stuff. There's hard business results that this is linked to. When people feel seen and understood and we bring the human element into it, not just the human doing, but the human being, mm-hmm. people show higher levels of commitment and productivity, to your point earlier. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Totally. And then finally, this is also about the whole person, not just the mm-hmm. <laughs> intellectual or cognitive person, which is important. We need smart people to run our businesses, but there's other aspects of the whole being. There's the emotional intelligence side, the spiritual intelligence side, and the physical intelligence side. And if we can pull all of those together into how we show up in our personal lives, in our professional lives, we'll maybe find more of that spiritual element and find ourselves more alive. Totally, yes. And and from the definition I gave, I always say that, you know, everyone is spiritual. It doesn't actually exclude anyone. And, And a part of me being an interfaith minister, my drive of becoming an interfaith minister was actually to serve in the workplace. Mm. So that actually I wasn't going in and there's nothing wrong because interfaith ministry is there for people of all faiths and those of none. So people knew that wherever they were on whatever spectrum, that I would just say, okay, what brings me and purpose? What brings you alive? What's the sense that you bring? So if they wanted to talk about, for sake of example, you know, Gandhi as a leader, and I always know I've got a good resource when it disappears and I allow people to take it, you know, and I've got this book on Gandhi, which is about leadership and it's practical for business perspectives. And I've had Hindus just walk away with it and say, David, I need this. It's just fabulous. Yeah. So you get that excitement of them suddenly seeing something. They go, oh, my goodness, can I do this? And from a Christian perspective, you know, again, one of my good friends talks about we were chatting. We're talking about taking for Christian perspective, taking Sunday into Monday. Mm. And of course, Tuesday, yeah. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, your workplace. But this yeah. aspect of quite often people in the, let's call it the older paradigm, would compartmentalize their life. Yes. They yeah. come to work, take off the jacket, be someone who they were supposed to be. They go and do the, perhaps the church on the Sunday. They do the family on the evenings. This approach is saying, no, actually, you, you now bring the whole person to work yeah. from a sense of, you know, this is about me. And it is being, you know, mindful around that. But actually, this is me. So I can actually give more of myself in the workplace because as you said this aspect of seeing being seen and understood that's so important yeah david thank you so much for being on the show today we're going to put a few resources that you've agreed to share on our episode notes page you mentioned a mastermind that you've got coming up around what we've talked about conscious leadership today and you also mentioned you'd be available if people want to chat for 10 or 15 minutes to clarify any of the topics that we've talked about. Yes, that was right. I was aware that I was probably going to speak about a number of different things. And if people have their head spinning or heart spinning, if hearts spin at the moment, yep. just a sense of, I'm just going to say I'm here. I'm going to offer a free 20 minutes. It's not a hard sell. I couldn't hard sell anyway. So, so it's not just if I can point you in the right direction, I do that. If those are interested on coming on my Conscious Leadership Mastermind group, again, just get in touch with me. We'll have a conversation. We'll see if it's for you. It'll be transformational. There will be a change in your life. So if you're up for that, you know, just contact me via the, yeah. the link below. And thank you, Sal, for holding the space so wonderfully. Thank you, David. Have a great rest of the day and look forward to next steps here. Yeah. Take care. Bye for now. 
hope you enjoy today's episode of the Sal Sylvester on the Future of Leadership podcast. You can get session notes on our website at 512solutions.com. That's the numbers 512solutions.com. Please follow and like the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're tuning in. And if you want to learn more about how we can help transform your people into confident and action-oriented leaders, please check out our website at 512solutions.com. I look forward to continuing the conversation about the future of leadership. I'm out.